Welcome everybody to week two of our uh, So I've Always Wanted to Ask series. I love, really love to read. I know many of you do too. What book has impacted you in profound ways? You know, moved you or changed you? Something like uh, Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Maybe even the book about Gallipoli. These books all modelled the universal story of the hero who sacrifices himself for the sake of others. It's, it's the true hero's journey. The greatest story of all and the one on which all of these are ultimately based is the story of Jesus of Nazareth, a first century rabbi who gathered a huge following in Palestine and was cruelly murdered by the Roman authorities to prevent his popularity from leading to a Jewish uprising. The story is complex and nuanced and miraculous and gritty. And it comes to us in the form of four eyewitness accounts, the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Each is slightly different and each is intended for a different audience of readers. But why do we have the Worldwide Church of Jesus Christ and not the Worldwide Church of Frodo? Well, Christians are called the people of the book. We believe that God's truth is breathed into us as we read the Bible. So we better be sure why we trust it. I'm not giving authority in my life to anything less than words inspired by the one who created me. Now, before we tackle today's question, just a note about this whole series. We cannot prove any of this to the level of a scientist examining a test tube. For every statement that I make, you could do your own research and come back with a, a refutation of what I've said. Any discussion about historical in, events involving Jesus or, or Julius Caesar or Hitler involves examining the probabilities but ultimately taking a leap of faith as to what you accept is true. Do we accept a worldview that includes the possibility that this world was a purposeful creation, creation by a supernatural God or not? If you believe no, then really nothing I say in this series will make sense. But if you're open to a qualified yes, then I believe there is great joy and richness to be experienced. So let's tackle our question for today. Can we trust the Gospels as authentic accounts of the life of Jesus? So are you ready to get a little bit nerdy? Because this subject can get very academic, but I'll just try and keep it at a level that I can understand. At the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, um, the author says this. So many others have tried their hand at putting together a story of the wonderful harvest of scripture and history that took place among us, using reports handed down by the original eyewitnesses who served this word with their very lives. Since I have investigated all the reports in close detail, starting from the story's beginning, 
I decided to write it all out for you, most honourable Theophilus, so you can know beyond the shadow of a doubt the reliability of what you were taught. Now, these are the words of Luke, who is, who is claiming that what he is writing is a researched, real account of Jesus' life. But how can we believe that? Let's look at some of the tests that are applied by historians, not just to the Bible, but to any ancient document. The first test is a test of authentic authors. Now, this is a test of whether the people telling the stories about Jesus were actually eyewitnesses to what they saw. Were the stories written down during the age before the last of the 12 disciples of Jesus died? Now, this in test ensures that no book is more than one person removed from a real eyewitness to the life of Jesus. Now, the oldest and most significant testimony we have is by Papias, who wrote in AD 125, and he was speaking about the book of Mark, and he said this, Mark, in his capacity as Peter's interpreter, wrote down accurately as many things as he recalled from the memory of the things either said or done by the Lord. Now, it's saying here that Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark, was, was a close confidant of Peter. Now, this is the Peter, the one who denied Jesus, the one that, was, that walked with Jesus through his three years of ministry. Many historians believe that the evidence is compelling that the ones who told the, the oral stories that were recorded in the Gospels were actually present with Jesus. The second test is a test of embarrassing details. Now, let me, let me explain what I mean by this. Imagine you are following two people on social media. One only tells you about the great things that are happening in their life. The other tells you all sorts of details about their life, the times when they got things wrong, the times when bad things happened, the times when they made mistakes. Now, which one of these two friends would you think was writing more authentically? When it comes to the gospel stories, the question is, do the stories include actions and sayings attributed to Jesus that would have created difficulty for the early church? Are they real, like warts and all? If the early church was writing a mythology of Jesus, then it wouldn't make sense to include material that would discredit them. For instance, Matthew, who we believe wrote the, the Gospel of Matthew, was a tax collector. Now, it would be very difficult to allow Matthew to actually put his name on that Gospel. Why is that? Because tax collectors in those days were the most hated, despised, untrustworthy people group in first century Israel. Maybe the closest we can think of in, in our context uh, would have been like a Nazi collaborator. It would have been very, very awkward to have a man like him associated with the early church. But they put his name on his gospel. Then there is the women who are part of Christ in a circle. 
They were the ones who reported his resurrection to the male disciples. Now, this was a dangerous detail to include in those days because women were never allowed to testify in a court of law because they were not believed to be intelligent or truthful enough to do so. If the writer wanted to shore up the story to make it more believable, they would have left the part of the women out. But they were more concerned with truth, so every detail of the women's testimony is included. The third test is the test of different perspectives. Now, I remember as a teacher trying to solve the problem of a theft that had taken place at school. There were two likely suspects, friends. But we decided to split the two of them up and put them in two separate rooms and question each separately. I suppose we got that from TV somewhere. Anyway, surprisingly, both students had the same story, and I mean exactly the same story, word for word, almost as if they had written it down and memorised it. It was obvious to us that neither student was being truthful and they'd colluded on their testimony. The four Gospels are not like that. They're written by four different people to four different audiences. So of course there will be differences in the way the stories are remembered. Historians believe that this adds to their reliability. For example, if we looked at the stories of the resurrection of Jesus, there are differences in the way that the Gospel records the details. Were there two angels at the tomb, as John tells us, or one, as Matthew says? How many women were there? And what was the precise location of the appearances of Jesus to his disciples after his resurrection? The Gospels all diverge on some of these details. So what implications should be drawn from this? For many historians, this is a proof that the Gospels are credible accounts. Why? Because if they were made up at a later time, all these discrepancies would have been ironed out to get one pristine story. New Testament historian N.T. Wright suggests that all these different details indicate that something shocking and surprising had taken place. He says this in one of his, in one of his books. The surface inconsistencies, of which so much is made by those eager to see the accounts as careless fiction, is in fact a strong point in favour of their early character. The later we imagine them being written up, the more likely it would be that these inconsistencies would have been ironed out. The stories exhibit exactly the surface tension which we associate not with tales artfully told by people eager to sustain a fiction and therefore anxious to make everything look right, but with hurried, puzzled accounts of those who have seen with their own eyes something which took them horribly by surprise. All right, before we do our final, talk about our final test, I just want to do a bit of a sidebar because it's a question that we asked in, in um, the video that you would have seen at the beginning. We talked about the Gospel of Thomas. What about the other Gospels? Now, there is a group of books called the Gnostic Gospels, and the Gospel of Thomas was one of them. The novel The Da Vinci Code came out in 2003 and it was the story of an archaeologist who believed that some of the stories in the Gospel of Thomas were true and they were that Jesus had actually married Mary of Magdalene 
and they had and had had a son to her. This novel threw many Bible-believing Christians into a panic as they imagined that down through the ages the church had hidden important details that were present in these Gnostic Gospels. But if you actually read any of these books, you will know why they were rejected by the council that put together the original canon of scripture. For one thing, they have a very late authorship written about 300 years after Christ walked this earth. They lack historical detail or a sense of real story. They read a lot more like mythology. They contain concepts that don't fit with the rest of scripture. For example, the Gospel of Thomas credits Jesus with saying that a woman must become a man to enter the kingdom of God. Who would believe that? If I had time travelled back to the year, say, 500 AD to interview a church leader and said that in the future there would be a novel written which would claim that the Gospel of Thomas was the real story of Jesus and many people believed it, he would have roared laughing and said, that old chestnut, we refuted all that decades ago. What is wrong with you people in the future? I bet he made a lot of money from spinning that old story again. Anyway. Off that sidebar, and let's finish with the last test. And this is the test of the early recording or the early writing down of history. Now, one of the reasons the Gospels have come to be the most trusted documents in antiquity is because of their comparatively quick turnaround time following the events that they record. There's a strong case that the Gospels were written within about 30 years of Christ's death. Now, I mentioned last week a movie based on the true story of a journalist who was determined to refute the Christian truth claims. Now, I just want to play you a short clip from that movie. Uh, and this is where he is interviewing a Catholic priest who had been a biblical archaeologist. Marquez, uh, Lee Strobel, thank you for seeing me. Of course, I, of course. I, uh, I should tell you I'm a bit of a history buff myself, so oh. yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm particularly intrigued with your archaeological work. Ah, uh, former life. Uh, former life, yes. I'm a, I'm a bit surprised given your, uh, your stellar reputation that you just gave all that up for, uh, for this. Would you like to be more specific? Well, it just seems to me that for the better part of 2,000 years, Christianity has been creating these these rituals and these rules. You know, they've erected these elaborate and often expensive cathedrals and all of that to support a faith that I believe is, is ultimately built on sand. And yet, it's all still standing. Yes, because people keep telling each other the same stories over and over again. Just because I write something down and I bury it in the dirt, it doesn't make it true. I think I'm beginning to see the crux of your visit. <laughs> Look, I, I understand that a number of people claim to have seen Jesus after his crucifixion, and some of them even wrote it down. But I guess my question is, how, how can we be sure 
or the reliability of those manuscripts. Well, the same way we authenticate any historical document, by comparing and contrasting the copies that have been recovered. It's called textual criticism. The more copies we have, the better that we can cross-reference and figure out if what the original was saying is historically accurate. And the earlier they come from in history, the better. Take Homer's Iliad, for example. Hmm? Is this real? It's as real as the Macedonian dirt that I dug it up from. Well, the Greeks considered this their Bible for many centuries. Yes, they did. That is one of 1,565 copies in existence today. Now, the Iliad was originally composed 800 years before Christ. Okay. This Greek copy is dated at the third century AD. So, 800 and so that's, that's 1,100 years between this copy and the original, yes? Correct. There is only one ancient collection of writings that has more authenticated copies than the Iliad. Can you guess what that is? You're going to tell me the Bible. The New Testament. And how many copies is that? To date, archaeologists have recovered 5,843 Greek New Testament manuscripts. That's four times as many as the Iliad. Really? The earliest fragment of the Gospel of John was found in ancient Egypt, and it dates to 2nd century AD. How close is that to the original? Less than 30 years. I have one of the fragments in my collection. It's quite a treasure, isn't it? Uh -huh. After the New Testament and the Iliad, the runners-up don't even come close. We only have 100 copies of Sophocles, seven copies of Plato's Tetralogies, and only five copies of anything by Aristotle. In fact, if you laid the surviving copies of Aristotle, one on top of the other, they would make barely four feet. You do the same with surviving copies of the New Testament, the stack would be a mile high. Nothing else in history even comes close. How is that for reliable? Father, I certainly appreciate it. You've given me a, a lot of food for thought. <laughs> Entirely my pleasure. <laughs> oh, wow. The Shroud of Turin, that is a fantastic reproduction. Uh, the actual shroud is in the Cathedral of St. John the Baptist in Italy, under lock and key. Of course. <laughs> uh, no one's ever proven if the shroud is the actual burial cloth of the Christ. But whenever someone looks in those eyes for the first time, the Galilean who hung on the cross two millennia ago suddenly becomes a real person. But why would he do it? Why, why allow himself to be killed? If, if he really is the, the son of God, why not use his power to defend himself? The answer to that is what got me out of the dirt and into the church. It's really very simple. Love. love. I'm seeking to present to you some of the rational reasons that Christians accept the validity of the gospel stories of Jesus. And of course, the next question is, so what? You can believe that the documents are authentic, and the stories are true eyewitness accounts, but, but there's no risk in just believing. 
The risk is in listening to what the words mean and how they can change your very soul. If we believe that the Gospels are true stories about Jesus, then there is a power that comes from reading these stories. Christians believe that the truth about God can be accessed through the reading of the Bible, especially the Gospel stories of Jesus. So to finish today's message, I wanted to allow some of those powerful words to penetrate our souls. I've chosen a section from each of the four gospel books. Oh, it was so hard to choose. It's like choosing your favorite child. Every word has the power to change us if we allow our souls to be open to God. Speaking directly to our souls is what he loves to do. And this is risky, I warn you. Some of you may have heard some of these words many times, but maybe today is the day that you close your eyes and just let these words sink in. First is from Matthew. Now, Matthew wrote for Jewish people, emphasizing Jesus as the Messiah, and he said this, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for their heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you worth far more? Aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life. Mark is the shortest and most to the point and scholars believe was probably the earliest written. He says this, then calling the crowd to join his disciples, Jesus said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on your, to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what does it benefit you if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Luke, Luke is actually the longest of the Gospels. Luke was a doctor, very concerned to get the facts straight. He tells his story. Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I've just bought a field and must inspect it. Another said, I've just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Another said, I now have a wife, so I can't come. The servant returned and told his master what they'd said. His master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the cripple, the blind and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, there is still room for more. So his master said, 
go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that my house will be full. And then we have John, probably written several years after the other three Gospels. It's more philosophical, more poetic. Jesus says this, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. No, we don't, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us a Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. I trust the Gospels because the historical evidence is compelling. I trust the Gospels because they read me, the state of my heart and point me towards healing. I trust the Gospels because the words of Jesus resonate in my soul as truth. I trust the Gospels because when I am living and loving the Jesus way, I know I am whole and capable of helping others to become whole as well. Here's my challenge for you this week. Read even one of the Gospels. Maybe even ask a Christian that you know to read with you and talk with you about it. It could be the greatest adventure of your life.